0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the New York Yankees official podcast.
1: The two that I've probably taken the most from are Joe Torrey and Phil Garner. When I played for Joe in Los Angeles, I was at the end of my career, I was 40 years old. So I really kind of focused on how Joe did things and Joe took the time to explain things to me if I had questions. I was there for five and a half years in the Yankees minor leagues. we won, I think three championships along the way. i was won in rookie ball. Uh, one in AA and one in AAA Had A. Made a lot of very good friends. I think as a player, you look at the bench coaches maybe a go-between. If there's an, a concern on a player's part or even an issue, The bench coach can be a sounding board or a conduit for the player to the manager, and also can be a conduit from the manager to the the players as well. So it it does go in both directions.
2: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the New York Yankees official podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me across the Zoom line, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanisiri. How are you, Al? I'm good. Hi John. How are you? We have a pretty cool episode today. We have an interview that our coworker Nate, who's not with us today because he's on assignment somewhere else right now, but he did with New Yankees bench coach Brad Osmus.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a great interview. I'm really excited about this hire. I think that, you know, Brad Osmus has had a really great career in baseball. He reminds me a lot of some of the, you know, the really most hard-working coaches we've had here over the last couple years with the Yankees, a guy who's just been in the game forever, worked his way up the ranks, done a lot, and, you know, kind of gives you the sense that he's going to be a really valuable part of this team uh, from the coaching staff in
2: 2024. So that's a fun conversation. Then, Al, in our second uh, segment today, why don't we just discuss a little bit about what we see moving forward? Obviously, you know, a lot of things still in flux right now, but it, it is still a decent time to be turn to maybe uh you know read some tea leaves so stick with us
0: joining us today over zoom is the newest member of the yankees coaching staff bench coach brad Osmus. brad thanks for joining us today Ah, uh, glad to be here nate maybe just kind of uh you know set the the scene a little bit for us today in the present day where where are you calling from where is home for you and and what's a typical you know december afternoon day look like for you brad
1: uh, I am actually in the San Diego area in Southern California. I, I've kind of been in the San Diego area since I played with the Padres back in the mid-90s. So I put roots down here, raised two daughters here. Uh, they are now out of the house, however. Um, but we just never left Southern California. So th- that's where we are. And a typical December afternoon isn't overly exciting, to be honest with you. It's not a lot going on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a, an awfully nice place to be. We're, we got some, it's about 40 degrees and gray and rainy here in the New York area. So I'm sure it's a little better over there.
1: It is a little, we got some sun and it's uh it's a little cool by San Diego standards. It's you know, right around 60, low sixties, but uh, it's certainly not quite as cold as it is in the city.
0: <laughs> very nice. Very nice. So 1987, the June amateur draft, you're drafted by the New York Yankees in the 48th round. What do you remember from that day?
1: The draft environment has changed now uh, these days. A lot of players are very aware that they're going to get drafted. I was not very aware. I was aware that the draft was going on. And the 48th round, which they don't even have that many rounds anymore, but the 48th round didn't take place until the third day of the draft. So I actually hadn't thought twice about it in probably 48 hours. And I was at a friend's house hanging out like teenagers do. And my mother called the house and told me that the Yankees had called. So it was, it kind of shocked me. I was very surprised. Um, I was what they call a draft and follow. So they drafted me. And back then they had until the following draft or until I stepped foot on my college campus to begin classes, they hadn't told them to sign me. So I was what they call a draft and follow. They drafted me in June. They were going to watch me play summer ball and then make a decision on what,
0: if any, type of offer to make me before I left for college. Were the Yankees on your radar? Had had you been talking to a scout from the team, or was it just completely a shock? No, it wasn't a shock. I had actually been to Yankee Stadium
1: for a pre-draft workout. So Brian Sabian was the the scouting director. I remember talking to him down in the Yankee dugout. So no, they were definitely on the radar. But like I said, it was the third day of the draft, and I had kind of stopped thinking about it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, they draft you, and like you said, uh, draft and followed And you were at uh, Dartmouth, right? Well, I was—I was a senior in high school when I was
1: drafted. So I was uh, in Connecticut in high school, nice. and then when they drafted me in June, they had until I started classes at Dartmouth, which was third week of September, to sign me. So, mm-hmm. like I said, they followed me all summer, and then made an offer before I left for, for college.
0: I see. So, so you get into the minor leagues there with the Yankees in the, the late 80s, early 90s, a time in Yankees history when the major league on field product was was not so great, but uh, there were some very good years coming in the near future. What kind of stands out to you from your time in the minor leagues with the organization? Did you cross paths with with any of the guys that, that became part of the dynasty a few years later? Like, could you start to see... The seeds of, of something special starting to take shape at that point?
1: Um, I, you know, I think I was probably a little naive to understanding what was taking shape, but I certainly did cross paths with a lot of the people that became mainstays uh, in the Yankee pinstripes over their successful seasons. Um, I enjoyed my time with the I was there for five and a half years in the Yankees minor leagues. We won, I think, three championships along the way. i won in rookie ball, uh, one in double A, and one in triple A had a, made a lot of very good friends some of the guys that I played with that would go on to kind of help the Yankees. Bernie Williams was one that I played with. Obviously, Yankee fans know who Bernie is. Sure. Uh, he and I he and I played together in Columbus in 1992. Actually, that 1992 Columbus Clippers team had a lot of very good players. Bernie Williams was on there, Gerald Williams was on there, JT Snow who ended up getting traded after the 92 season was on there. Bob Wickman, who pitched for years, uh, right. Russ Springer, pitched for years. Hensley Mullins, I think, is uh, a name Yankee fans will will remember. Yep. Um, some of the guys like uh, Rivera, Posada, Jeter, they were a year or a level or two behind me at the time. I was a little bit older than they were. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was there was a you know Buck Showalter was the manager one year. I think Stump Merrill the year before that. Uh, there was a. A lot of names that
0: a lot of people that Yankee fans would remember. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, did it come as a a, a kind of shock to you when when you were taken in the expansion draft? Because I guess, you know, five and a half years in the Yankee system, you get all the way up to AAA with Columbus. You're knocking on the door there. I I guess at that point, you're probably thinking, hey, I'm going to be in Yankee Stadium soon enough. And then next thing you know, it's uh, out to Colorado. To put it bluntly, I was shocked. I was at college. I, you know, when I was in the
1: minors, I was alternating back and forth between playing in the spring and summer with the Yankees in the minor leagues, and then going to college classes in the fall and winter. Um, so I was in college and actually watching the draft in my fraternity room, my fraternity bedroom, <laughs> and uh, was completely shocked to hear my name. You know, all the the people doing the broadcast kind of were saying, "All right." after the first round these these players were probably protected for the Yankees and I had been one of those guys that they were assuming had been protected so when I got taken in the third round it it, it stunned me mm. um and you know when you come up with a when you come up with a team through the system from rookie ball to, the way to AAA you just kind of feel like you're going to be with that team and this of course is pre- cell phone so uh you know the Rockies, the Rockies call my parents at home. They get a hold of me at school, and you know that becomes official.
0: Wow, totally changed the trajectory of your whole career.
1: Yeah, it certainly did.
0: <laughs> all right, so let's dive in a little bit to to your new job here. You back back with the Yankees after all these years later, um, and I'm sure. I mean, anytime anybody starts a new job, you kind of want to just you know, dive right in and get going. But, you know, here we are in early December, everybody, you know, everybody's all over the place. I don't know how much there is you can do at this point. Uh, what is the, you know, what, what can you do in, in these weeks uh, before we get down to Tampa?
1: Well, I think, you know, the first, the first thing that I've done uh, is kind of get onboarded with the, the system that the Yankees have. Um just in terms of how to use their database system, their informational system. You know, I have to get my email address and all that. So that's been happening recently. In addition, uh, talking to Booney about kind of nailing down exactly what my role is, what areas I'm going to be covering in spring training during the course of the season. Uh, and that's obviously an ongoing discussion that is really just beginning to take, take shape. Uh, what my roles will be, what my job will be, um, et cetera. So some things are apparent, other things are kind of still being decided. Um, but yeah, I've I've been relatively busy since since the contract
0: has been agreed to. Quite frankly. So I, I know when you you first met with the reporters, you said that you know Booney a little bit from you know having been on in the opposite uh, dugout for many years. Is there anybody else in the in the organization that you know that you've worked with in the past or anything like that?
1: I don't think so. I you know I know Mike Harkey a little bit as well, kind of similar to Booney uh, mm-hmm. being in the opposite dugout and crossing paths and talking occasionally. And I know Luis Rojas a little bit as well, but that's probably it on the staff. Brian Cashman, I've known for years. He was with the Yankees when I was in the minor leagues. He he and I kind of started with the organization around the same time. I might have beaten him by a year or two, but he was there shortly after.
0: Well, those are all good guys to know. i guess (laughs) so bench coach it's a role that you you've held before uh with oakland Uh, but you know thinking back to your playing days um you know what in your mind makes a good one you know what did you kind of look toward your bench coaches for when you were a player
1: i think as a player you look at the bench coaches
0: maybe a go-between
1: to the manager you know someone that If there's a concern on a player's part uh, or even an issue, the bench coach can be a sounding board or a conduit for the player to the manager um, and also can be a conduit from the manager to the the players as well. So it it does go in both directions. But I think mainly players look at the bench coach as someone they might be able to go to without having to bother the manager about something.
0: Mm -hmm, Right. Brad, you've had such a long career in this game, and I'm sure you've had a a ton of managers and coaches that have been, you know, influential for you. Is there one or two guys that were the most impactful guys that you maybe have, you know, taken some of their philosophy or or their way of of doing things and uh, incorporated that into the way you manage or coach players? I think you take bits and pieces from
1: coaches and managers that cross your path throughout your career. But the two that I've probably taken the most from are Joe Torrey and Phil Garner. When I played for Joe in Los Angeles, I was at the end of my career. I was 40, 40 years old. And at that point I was starting to look at, I was a backup catcher and I was starting to look at the game a little differently, more from a coaching slash managerial perspective. Um, So I really kind of focused on how, Joe did things and Joe took the time to explain things to me if I had questions. Uh and and Phil Garner was similar in the sense that he would actually have me come stand next to him at times when I wasn't playing in Houston and ask me questions or talk me through something.
0: Is the goal with with the manager, with you and between you and Booney, is it is it to be of one mindset or is it kind of more beneficial if you have as a bench coach, you have sort of different perspectives and ideas that you can, that you can present him with?
1: I think we'll probably jive most of the time, but the most important thing for the bench coach with the manager is to be honest. If I disagree with something that he's considering, I have to tell him I disagree with it. I need to let him know. He needs to hear that other opinion. Uh, If he's just got a yes man sitting next to him, that's not doing anybody including the rest of the Yankees any good.
0: Right. I kind of chuckled when you, you told the reporters you were sort of bored this past summer. Just uh, you know, how excited are you about next season being able to be back in uniform, back in the dugout, you know, the, everything that goes along with it, spring training, road trips, all that good stuff. Uh just how how excited are you for all that?
1: I, I'm I'm very excited to be part of the Yankees, quite frankly. It's uh it's probably you know, it's the most storied organization in baseball history. Uh and I was there as a minor leaguer, but never as a major leaguer, although I I got to enjoy a couple major league. Spring training camps, so I'm. I was fired up when when Booney called and offered me the job. And at that point, it's just a matter of doing a contract with Cashman, which probably took all of about 15 minutes, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. It'll be busy. We got certainly got work to do. I know it was not a Yankee year by Yankee standards last last season, but I think everyone expects the Yankees to contend next year and I'm hoping to be part of that contender
0: yeah Brad as a guy who has spent his entire life in this game uh, being from the Northeast from Connecticut like you said what what do the Yankee pinstripes just sort of represent to you I don't know if you were a, a fan of the team growing up at all or anything but just you know knowing what you do having been ensconced in the sport for for as long as you have you know what what is the the franchise kind of represented to you
1: I mean just the the Yankee emblem is kind of iconic it's it's not just a baseball emblem or logo it's you see it everywhere you see it you see it around the globe the history of the baseball club itself is unmatched it's unrivaled in terms of World Series championships and now of course expectation you have expectation you have the grandest stage in baseball and uh man it'd be great to to hoist a World Series trophy that, that I've never done that in my career with any organization, I'd love to do it in 2024.
0: There's no place like winning in New York. That's for sure. You know, we, we talked about some of the, the managers uh, that have been influential for you. I mean, you've been around a ton of great players as well um, as, as a coach. I mean, you've had Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and Miguel Cabrera from those experiences. Uh, you know, what have you learned uh, about managing those types of guys like the, the games superstars? Uh, that you think you know could be helpful w- when you get down to Tampa and you're you're you know now in charge of uh, you know managing a team or coaching a team with guys like Aaron judge and Garrett Cole on on it
1: you know i I, I mentioned this uh, the other day. There's nothing greater than an all star or even Hall of Fame caliber player that is also a great teammate and guys like trout, Miguel Cabrera. Max Scherzer. These are guys that I've managed and they're all great teammates uh, and they're just fun to be around, not just because they're performing, but even when they're not performing, they're fun to be around. You want them in that clubhouse with you. Uh, you want to hang out with them and talk to them during batting practice. And by all accounts, and Booney has reiterated this to me, Judge falls into that category. So I don't know Aaron Judge. I'm looking forward to, to meeting him and I'm sure he's I'm going to like him uh, because he seems like he's one of those great player, great teammate type guys.
0: Well, Brad, you've uh, you've answered all all the questions on my list for you. So I'll leave you I'll leave it with this. Do you have any um, good stories from your Yankee minor league playing days that you would like to share with our audience?
1: <laughs> my, my Yankee minor league playing? Well, I'm going to really have to go into the vault to to find one of those.
0: <laughs> I know it's going way back now. Uh,
1: yeah, it's been uh Oh Jesus it's been thirty years, I guess now since over thirty years.
0: Was the Deion Sanders wasn't around when you were in the minors? Were you? I did.
1: I did play with Deion. Uh, so when Deion signed, it was uh, nineteen eighty-eight. I was playing in Sarasota, Florida, in rookie ball. And this, I didn't really follow college football, so I didn't know who Deion Sanders was. But this guy starts walking towards the field with about I don't know seven or eight media members around him. I, I said to one of them, my teammates, said, who's this guy? They said, Deion Sanders. I said, who's Deion Sanders? They explained it to me. And <laughs> he played. He didn't, he didn't stick around in Sarasota that long, but he did play with us. And the one thing I remember about Deion is he hit a routine ground ball to the second baseman and beat it up. Wow. It's, it's still, it still stands out as a vivid memory. But he beat out a routine ground ball to the second baseman, the closest infielders to first base
0: that's awesome (laughs) well brad thank you so much for your time today this is a lot of fun and uh i'm excited to meet you when we get down to tampa and uh looking forward to a great season
1: i appreciate it thanks nate hi this is anthony volpe you're listening to the new york yankees official podcast
2: Hi, this is Tommy Canley. You're listening to the New York Yankees official podcast. Welcome back to the New York Yankees official podcast. Al, I, I think you said it in the intro there. You, you listen to uh, Nate and Brad talk and it's pretty clear what the Yankees see in this guy.
3: Yeah, he's a guy that, you know, his baseball acumen is high. His work ethic is strong. Everywhere he's been, he's kind of been praised for the type of work that he's done. You know, I like that he's a former catcher. He, he certainly knows, you know, the game, not just from a hitting perspective, but from working with so many pitchers and, you know, is, you know, really outward about how that benefits him. And, um, you know, it's a it's a, just a logical guy to come in and replace a coach who, you know, in a lot of ways did a really great job here and and who I kind of see similarities in.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, Carlos Mendoza, much like Rob Thompson before him, you know, these these aren't coaches that just are guys who are there to check some boxes and, and they're interchangeable. It takes it's a real piece of personality and doggedness and motivation and and all these things because the bench coach job it's amorphous in some ways. You know, what's a good bench coach? It's a, <laughs> I guess it's a Bench coach on a team that wins World Series, but you know more more specifically, it's a guy who takes a lot of weight off the manager, who's able to handle the scheduling, who's able to handle the planning, who is able to be as uh, Brad Ausmus said, you know, a guy who can handle some you know conversations with the players when the player maybe doesn't you know want to elevate it or escalate it to the level of the manager, all these things. You have to do so much. I mean, and we would laugh. We would tell stories at spring training about, you know, someone leaving spring training the night before. And as they were leaving, like Rob Thompson was showing up for work the next day because he was just always, always at GMS Field. Carlos Mendoza was the same way. And, you know, you, you listen to Nate and Brad Osman's talk, and this is a guy who has a life in this game and who's who understands this game. And I think he's going to be a real asset.
3: I agree with you. And it's funny you brought up Rob Thompson. I was talking to a friend earlier and I I brought up the same comparison a guy who worked his way up the ranks. Obviously, Brad had a career as a player, but not just in the majors, in the minors as well. And guys who, yeah, are not afraid to work, you know, maybe outwork everybody on the staff just because that's the type of responsibilities they're given, you know, not because other guys are not working as hard or don't want to work as hard, but their responsibilities are so. Uh, wide ranging, so far reaching, so diverse. And he's a guy who's, you know, who succeeded in this role. He's done it before. And it's so hard to to think of how this could have gotten gone any better. I'll say that much from a hiring standpoint to this point.
2: It's interesting, too, because if, if you look back and obviously here we are, It's the first full week of December. Most of the baseball world right now is focusing on the winter meetings. Of course, I'm sure since we're recording this now, by the time this runs, there will have been massive, massive uh, player movement and things like that that you're not getting from us in this episode. So we are going back to last week, though. And one of the things that happened last week was Awesomest meeting with the media. And and I I think it's funny still because, God, I mean, we're like, you know, just around the corner now from 2024. And you hear whenever there's some a manager or a front office staff or anything like this, somehow we start fighting the wars of 2004 again, where it's like, well, is it analytics, or is it scouting, or is it this, or is it this, and is it this? And I, I find it, I just find it funny. I find it funny that everyone has to, you know, get to their, you know, corner in a sense and, and decide which side of this fight they're going to be on. I think Brad Ausmus is a guy who has experience as a player, has experience as, I mean. Uh, uh, really smart guy, (laughs) as we've seen over the years. Brad Ausmus understands the numbers. Brad Ausmus understands you know, what it takes to be a successful major leaguer and what it takes to be a successful major league manager, too, to some degree. So I don't know. I I don't know. I I find it funny, I guess, just why that is always the conversation. Is this a scouting hire or an analytics hire? And what's the difference? Whatever. I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like doesn't everyone understand that everything in baseball is all of the above at this point, like that there is no one side or the other?
3: Yeah, I mean, analytics are, are a part of the game. They're a part of the Yankees organization and operation starts with Brian Cashman, but it ends, you know, at home plate when the guy gets up to the to the plate and everything in between that is Aaron Boone. Now, Brad Osmus, other coaches, um, and there's a real, you know. Great coaching staff that's in place. You know, Aaron Boone's won a lot of games in his tenure here, and he's had great coaches come through here that have worked for him. Look at the track record uh, of guys who are who are elsewhere and, and being and, and having success. And same thing with you know the the staff that Joe Girardi had here prior to to Aaron. This is just an extension of that or an addition to that, where a great coach is here. He has a great you know strong grasp of analytics. But he's also got a real feel for the game because he was a player. He was a player who struggled. He was a player who succeeded. He's an all of the above type of guy, if you will, and someone who I think uh, will do it all. And and when you say do it all for a bench coach, it's, it's a lot.
2: And look, I mean, Aaron Boone, Brad Ausmus, Luis Rojas Jr., I mean, you have a lot of guys with a lot of experience on this coaching staff right now. A lot of guys, you know, I mean, Luis Rojas Jr., he was a manager for only two years, but I, I mean, his, but he was the manager. his life story, though, <laughs> I mean, is literally what he, he I think he's been breathing baseball since, uh, you know, before the days he was born with a father like Felipe Alou. Um, yeah, obviously, Brad Osmus, long career in the game, been a manager, but it goes even a little bit further than that because I, one thing I loved hearing him talk about is, you know, and maybe it's just a smart guy who knows what to say to the Yankees. But who did he uh, most revere, most respect, most learn from as a manager? Well, how about a guy named Joe Tory? Oh, yeah, that, that name goes pretty far in these parts. Um, you know, exactly. it's, that, that's right. a good name to mention in, in your interview, if you will. So I, I think it's a staff that has really been through a lot. I mean. I think you're going to find very few bullpen coaches who have been through more than Mike Harkey, you know, certainly it's just, there's a lot of talent all around Aaron Boone and you know, that trickles down, you know, that has an impact on the players in that roster.
3: I agree. And I think another thing that's important, you know, when you talk about kind of the effect that a bench coach has on a roster. First of all, let me backtrack a second. Anybody who models themselves or learns from Joe Torrey is somebody I'm a fan of. Uh, He's, still the most, you know, influential manager I've ever worked with from a publications department standpoint, which, um, you know, there's interactions with managers, you know, that we have in terms of interviewing them, being around them, hearing them talk about the game and and really hearing the way that they manage people. Um, and no one I thought did that better than Joe Torre of any, any coach or manager I've been around um, or, or even been a fan of. So I think it's, it's really smart that he, kind of recognize those things in Joe. And and another person who's also said that is Aaron Boone, who although didn't you know he didn't play for Joe for a long time, he definitely talks about the things that he picked up that were significant. So that's awesome. I also think that, you know, when you look back at a guy like Carlos Mendoza, who was here left to become a manager, um, obviously with a with a major league baseball team. You know, he wasn't somebody who is being replaced because he wasn't doing a good job or because he was fired or something like that. Or wasn't
2: absolutely beloved in the organization.
3: Or was. or wasn't absolutely beloved in the organization. I think it's crucial that the team brought in someone who is kind of equal to him in terms of experience, in terms in in terms of acumen, in terms of relating with players and being uh, all of those things and the scheduling and the organizational responsibilities and et cetera et cetera you know not that it's it, it would have been okay like if the predecessor was doing a horrible job and and he was replaced by another guy who was going to do a horrible job. But in this case, there was a big reliance on Carlos Mendoza and those responsibilities. And that just kind of, if you will, star power of a bench coach and all the things that he did needed to be replaced by somebody who could kind of step into those shoes and fill those shoes. And it, it sure as heck seems like we got the guy that can do that.
2: It seems like it. Sure. I mean, who, who who knows, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. As long as the trains run on time during spring training, I guess that means that a bench coach is doing the job. So I think everyone has every reason to expect that. The reality is of course, that the much more important things there are still to come this off season, you know, not to say that the filling out the coaching staff, which the Yankees have now basically done is the mo- is, is not important. But, I mean, look, everyone's right to be focusing on the news coming out of Nashville at the winter meetings and what this means and everything like that. And I I could just say, first off, as always, again, maybe you're hearing this and you know more than we do right now. You almost definitely know more than we do right now because things move pretty fast this time of year. It's just such a weird time, though, because I'm sitting there. I know you are, too. We're thinking about the stories we're going to be working on. We're thinking about the players we're going to be writing about. And there are just these caveats, like, unless – Unless, well, maybe, it's like, I have, I have this guy I want to write about, if he's still here, I have this guy I want to write about, who knows, and mm-hmm. I know that you've been doing this, I've been doing this, I think combined, we're probably in this industry some like 45 years or something like that. Yeah. It's still a like, little jarring when you realize you're talking about human beings in this way though and i always i always try to pull myself back from that a little bit of just looking at them as chess pieces but this time of year i hate to say it they kind of are and and it, it's just it's not the noblest part of uh, our profession but uh you know I, I do try to remember as you're hearing rumors and as you're seeing tweets and as you're you know that the, there's usually a wife or a kid or uh you know family member that that's being impacted by that
3: or a dream. And, you know, and, and, um, it, you're right. A hundred percent. I, I am, I'll say, I'll say this, uh, I have served zero days, uh, as a general manager. And there's a, probably a lot of reasons for that. One of them is that I, am too soft. Uh, it would be really hard for me to trade a player who I liked and who worked really, really, really hard to realize his dream as a New York Yankee or worked really hard to be the best New York Yankee he could be. Brian Cashman doesn't operate like that. And that is by no means a criticism. If anything, it's a criticism of me, <laughs> you know, if you will. Um, but, you know, there's no you know, there's it, it's just a different job than the ones we have or, or or anyone else. You know, if if we're doing our jobs, the Yankees aren't looking to replace us. At least I hope they're not. But that's that's the way it is. I remember just you know last summer doing you know, similar kind of feeling I had doing a story with Harrison Bader, where you talked about his days at University of Florida. And he's like, every month we were evaluated and every month players were getting cut from the team. And I mean, every month, like January, February, November, even non-baseball months, if you will. And same thing goes, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it there is a, a real human nature to it. I know you've done stories with guys that you've then kind of begun to like a lot personally, and and I've had those same feelings, and it's like, man, I don't want to see this guy go. He's working his butt off, and he's a good player, and he's a good guy, and he represents the Yankees so well. I was heartbroken when Curtis Granderson moved on because I thought, boy, no one represented the Yankees the way that he did, but that's not what he's there to do. I mean, that's great. Don't get me wrong, but if there's a better outfielder, yeah, it doesn't matter. That,
2: that's the price. That's the life, and, and these guys all signed up for it. It's hard.
3: It's hard, but who knows what's going to happen? You're right. I mean, we are right in the middle of that unknown period right now. It is so uncertain. There's so many big fish out there that are exciting to think about. There are players here who I hope don't go anywhere. Obviously, the logic that you have to give something up to get something good. Uh, You know, that's fortunate and unfortunate, I guess. But it's going to be an exciting Whatever, two or three weeks coming up.
2: That's the way it goes, and maybe it's full circle, too, because the guy who we're chatting with in this episode, you know, he, he got that call, too, where he thought he was about to become a major leaguer with the New York Yankees, and instead he's picked in the expansion draft. It's just – you never know. It, it's 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 a tough part of life, but hopefully, you know, we get to have some pretty happy people pretty soon as uh, – a look, I mean, fans are always demanding. Fans earn the right, in a sense, to be demanding after a disappointing season – you, you knew that fans were gonna be clamoring for something and, and you expect that now that this it's now that we're in December you know so you expect stuff to start happening pretty soon and it'll be interesting and I, and look we're not fans per se you know we're employees we're yeah but we watch just as closely and we uh check our phones just as often as all those other people and I promise you these next few days and weeks we'll definitely be doing that
3: yeah it's exciting every time I do check my phone or check into any. You know, these days, you know, just being awake means that you're going to find out news somehow. Uh, it, your your heart kind of beats a little bit faster because you're waiting to see, and uh, you know, it's it's going to be an exciting time. And I really look forward to the next episode, recording the next episode because there might be a it might be a really interesting topic that we're that we're talking about.
2: Who knows? Al, with that, why don't we uh just say goodbye for this one, and obviously, like you said, next time we come back. I imagine we're going to have some more news for you. But in the meantime, have a have a great couple of weeks. And uh, may uh, your Christmas stocking be filled with some uh, interesting players, I guess. Absolutely. Cheers to you. Thank you for listening to the New York Yankees official podcast.
0: For more stories like these, be sure to subscribe at Yankees.com forward slash podcast. And for the most in-depth coverage of your New York Yankees, subscribe to yankees magazine at yankees.com
2: forward slash publication thanks for listening and go yankees the new york yankees official podcast is a production of the yankees magazine podcast network It's produced by me, John Schwartz, with assistance from the entire team at Yankees Magazine, as well as incredible support from the New York Yankees Media Relations Department, in particular Jason Zillow, Michael Margolis, and Caitlin Brennan. Thanks also to our awesome social media team, Ryan Callahan, Julia Shore, and Alex King. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcasts at yankees.com. For more information about the stories we discussed today, visit yankees.com slash magazine, where you can read all of our long-form content you like to subscribe to Yankees Magazine or purchase individual copies of the magazine, yearbook, media guide, or anything else, please visit yankees.com slash publications or call us at 800-GO-YANKS. Of course, you can also stay up to date on everything happening here at the stadium by following us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine, or by liking us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks!